The Havrusa, featuring Rabbi Avraham Kibalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch, directed by Jeff Osias. From Chicago, this is The Havrusa. I'm Rabbi Avraham Kibalevich. And I'm Rabbi Kalman Warch. Tonight, we'd like to talk about something which is even larger than an institution, something which has changed forever, seemingly, life not only here in America, but across the world. And some would call it the greatest invention of all time. And what we're talking about, surprise, is not the computer, but the automobile. We all know that in times before the automobile, life was very different from the way it is today. Many of the changes of the modern age and the whole makeup of cities and society can really be traced to the presence of the auto. Cities and suburbs have been separated because of highways that were built in order to allow the automobile to run free. And the way people spend their time and so much of their day has been determined completely and definitively by the fact that they're going to have to spend time in a 4,000-pound metal machine that will take them to where they need to go. And, And the question of transportation has entirely changed, not just um, the way cities have been built, but the way people live, the way people think. Uh, As a matter of fact, some would say that it has actually brought a downside to society and the world was better off without cars. There are some Hasidic sects who don't use cars. Um, They believe that um, the cars bring about um, place for one to... um, act negatively. And again, as we've pointed out in different shows, this is not a rejection of the technology in itself, but because of what they see as, uh, as I think what you're saying is the difficulties in the car itself. But I think what we have to remember is that many of the people that are arguing this way, many of the societies that have this sort of attitude are societies that are in an urban situation. These are This is in places where public transportation is relatively the norm, or places like in Eretz Yisrael, Israel, which we're not going to, I don't think, discuss tonight, where it's clearly a different, the roads are different, the population situation is different. Those people, uh, the car can be seen as something which is unnecessary. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you're mentioning this. I think part of their problem also that the Chassidim have is not only because the car is such a negative thing, uh, but I don't believe they want their women, especially, uh, to be driving these cars. Uh, now, although this is a minority opinion, but they believe that women driving the car allow themselves to be um, shown off to other drivers, and it's not necessarily the most modest thing for a woman to do. And again, this is a, um, a certain sect that's very small, but not... the, the, the point should be made that uh, there are some people who do see that the automobile as a negative aspect in society as much as it is a positive. Yes, cars can be a non sneo situation in the sense that it is a box that has windows opening on all sides to allow to see the person inside. There are automobiles that can be purchased that don't allow people from the outside to see what's going on inside. Which might itself bring greater issues. I don't know if that's a solution. But it, there's also another thing, and that is that in one of these places where this is adhered to, which is in the city of Muncie, there, true, there are Hasidic women who will not drive and will not venture out in a car, yet there are other women who actually run car services 
for those women who won't drive. I find this a little bit strange that on one end they themselves won't drive, and yet you know they're keeping uh, the Parnosa alive for someone who is willing to go out there and, well, and review herself. Well, if you need to get somewhere, you have to use the automobile, which is your only way of transportation. Again, so that- and, and once you are doing that, you might as well take someone who you're more trusting and there are less issues with, which is namely a female driver. Even though that woman, by putting herself in the front seat, is making herself the target for the non-sneeze looks of people on the street. Again, it sounds a little bit strange to me. Once we're going to accept that the car is here and it's impossible to get from point A to point B without it, unless you jump through hoops that are unnecessary, I think the sneeze issue needs to be one of, yes, women walk in the street too. And that's more than an open box. (laughs) There isn't any windows whatsoever. You just don't look and you just don't stare. But, Kama, besides the tenuous argument on religious grounds, I think that there's an objection that's raised to the ownership of automobiles. It's raised primarily by people who see the private ownership of autos stopping Mm -hmm. a society developing and a society that was actually predicted by futurists in the 60s and 70s, a society where we would have cheap, effective public transportation that would allow people to even ride monorails mm. to work and much quicker with trains that far outdid any sort of transportation that's available today in terms of time. That, that sounds like something from science fiction. You want um, everyone to give up their cars and enter these um, futuristic ideas of um, everyone traveling together in these trains. I don't think that's going to work. Um, people will not accept it. People are not accepting it. And the fact is that public transportation can sometimes get people quicker to to where they're going, and yet they still want to ride their own cars. Common, I realize that this isn't going to be a reality that we are going to see. However, the desire to have your own car and to drive that car might really be connected to some underbelly of negative human emotion. I think you're right. I think um, the reason why these ideas won't work is because people want to drive their own car. There's a certain sense of power of being the king of the road, uh, even though they know that if everyone would just give up cars and we would somehow switch into this other society, it would, uh, it would do good. Besides for the um, safety issues and uh, all those other things that would be helped. But again, there's a certain privacy and a certain power that people want to have when they're driving their cars, and I need to get where I want to go, I go when I want, how I want. and An egoistic sense of self-control that, I think as you're alluding to, has led to many situations of what a phenomenon known as road rage, where the driver will act in an inexplicably violent way because he's not getting where he wants when he wants to get there. I don't know if it's necessarily because um, of a frustration, which is what I think you're saying. I think it's, again, it's a, a question of power. People are on open roads and someone gets in front of them, even though it didn't slow them down at all, but I have to be at the head of the road, and they get upset, and they try to speed past that person, and accidents have happened, and people trying to show off, and things like that. It's not necessarily frustration, but it's a question of power. When I, people I, I, enter their cars, they live in their cars, they think that this is their um, uh, kingdom. Kalman, I don't have the statistics of road rage, but I would assume that most of it occurs as a result of the frustration that occurs in large cities, not being able to get where you want. We all know the horror stories that occur on a daily basis in Los Angeles. I think that's where you hear these stories of road rage. Out in the open road in Montana, I don't think that's really much of the issue. 
I don't know. You're talking about in big cities would obviously have more cases. But I, I think that if everyone were to feel that their car is only a tool for them to get places, it wouldn't bother them the fact that uh, they're not getting anywhere. Common, whatever sociologists determine is the ultimate cause of road rage, we definitely know that keeping people in their cars, not involved in a community that's part of it in a public transportation way, compartmentalizes them. It fractures the society. It makes people say, yes, like they are in their own little world. And I think that that has negative ramifications throughout society. I agree with you. There should, um, society is definitely being hurt greatly by the fact that people are um, acting in rage um, on the road. And not only does it affect them on the road, but it affects them when they get home. I mean, it's the craziest thing where if you're 10 seconds late for work because one truck cut you off, the whole day you lose hours and hours of, of um, work that you could have done. I agree with you, but uh, I think we need to find some solutions. Would you have any suggestions? How would the typical person driving, um, right now there are people listening to us while they're driving, what would you suggest they should do to help prevent them from acting in road rage? Well, I think that given that we are going to be in our cars, most cars are blessed with some sort of tape or CD player. There's plenty of tapes and CDs that I think if you insert them in the car, enough of your mind can be connected there. Again, those CDs and tapes are obviously when our show is not on. Otherwise, you'd be listening to the radio. Although I understand, Kalman, that our shows are now available on CD, and if one if one contacts the Torah Radio Network and writes our website, which is thechavrusatorahradio.net, that we will arrange for you to receive, of course, if you pay, we will arrange for you to receive some CDs of some of our shows, and you could listen to them and enjoy them that way. Yeah, but I think the point is across that um, if people find a way to keep themselves entertained, now again, not to do this in a way that would endanger themselves, there have been thousands of cases of accidents being caused because someone couldn't find the right channel on their radio. Uh, again, this to, all has to be done in a in a way where at the red light, that's where you pop in your, your um, Torah radio CD. Well, actually, common. Torah tapes, and we know what sort of business that is, and we know that they're offered, and I'm sure some of the finest ideas in Torah are being promoted through tape and perhaps now even CD. Something tells me that some, there's an advantage to be gained by the listening to books, uh, novels, uh, plays, radio programs from the past. I think there's an element of serenity that that can induce in the driver, uh, a sense of a different world, a sense of something happening that you can think about, right, without endangering what's happening in the road. I agree with you in one way that a lecture might not be the most um, entertaining thing at best to help keep you from road rage and to help calm you. But if you take a show, I mean, not to be... um, to Hori, but um, if you have the Chavrusa show where there is a back and forth dialogue and people are discussing things, you get sort of involved in it and it does relax you. But e- e- even even with what you're saying, that the um, that the Torah tapes are not necessarily the best thing, but I don't know if you have to jump all the well, way to well, 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 plays ex- and books. Well, and- let me explain. Obviously, there are many people who are listening to this show and many people in the United States who their time for study is when they're driving to work, and that's when they want to put put in a Torah tape. I applaud them, more power to them. But if you are learning, you're a person of learning, or if you're a person that has your chavrusas and you have your time for study, 
and you're worried that this time in the car might, in a way, anger you, you might come back, like as you say, effective for the whole day, perhaps you should find appropriate books to listen to, classics that have been forgotten by you. But if they're read by a reader, and we know there's a whole cottage industry of these books on tape, a reader who can put feeling and emphasis to it, I think it could change your day, it could give you a little break when you step into the car. I don't know if you have to necessarily listen to Hamlet to be able to um, get through what you, uh, get through your day. But I, I think that we can settle on music. I think music is something that everyone would agree is something that relaxes you, something that can make you feel comfortable driving. If someone cuts you off, it doesn't bother you as much, you know, because I'm listening to my song. I don't think we have to jump all the way to plays. I think there are um, Jewish music and there is, of course, classical music and other music that everyone agrees. Well, this leads us to the halakha question about the permissibility of listening uh, to music. Which uh, might be a show for some other time. If you would like to hear that as a show or any other show, please send us your suggestions at thecharusatoradio.net. Of course, one advantage, too, of any of these options is that most of these do not come with any commercials, uh, an advantage that, unfortunately, our show does not have. So we will be back. This will be weiter after these messages. We're back. Um, we're talking about the automobile, and I think we've covered the need for automobile and why people um, have such a connection to it. But I think there is an issue to bring up as to what kind of car should one drive. Is it okay to spend $70,000 to buy a brand new Hummer? I mean, is it necessary? Well, Common, what is your question? Is it because of the flaunting aspect that you're spending so much of your wealth on this item to show everyone? Or maybe what you're saying is is because uh, these cars are a safety issue, a safety and an ecological issue. I, I, I think the, both points are right. I think there is a question of um, spending that much money on a vehicle. Is it necessary? Um, even if one does have the money and it's not considered overspending, does one have to flaunt? I mean, you, if the point of your automobile is to get you from point A to point B, it shouldn't matter how much your car costs, and how many fancy features it has. But there is the other issue of gas-guzzling vehicles, which I think um, should be brought up because some people have said that the people who buy SUVs and cars like that that eat gas are actually the supporters of terror, and they make our need greater um, to um, to rely on those countries in the Middle East mm-hmm. that give us oil. So you're saying with Moses our great teacher, have driven an SUV. Uh, I think there's probably another issue here, Kalman. Not only the depletion of the earth and the dependence on the oil countries, there's also the fact that these cars are notoriously unsafe. We know that many of the guidelines that govern safety issues in normal vehicles don't apply because of a technicality to an SUV, which I think is labeled as a truck, and therefore some of those safety issues don't apply, and therefore this lends, this leads to the rollovers and unfortunate deaths that occur because of that. Well, I, I don't know if that's really the issue. Uh, uh, 
I think all cars are as unsafe as each other. The slight difference between them, it really, it's a matter of the driver. Cars don't kill people. People kill people. Well, Kalman, a person might think that he is in control of a car, but yet when he tries to put the brakes on in one way in weather, he'll find that something happens that he doesn't expect. Well, it all depends on how you've driven during that rain and how you handle your car. I don't think it matters what car you... As long as it meets the basic um, safety standards, you've got a steering wheel and brakes and four wheels, you can get there safely if you just know how to act. Kalman Baruch Hashem, you haven't been involved in a big accident. I think people who have come out of accidents will tell you that there was issues with the cars they were driving. And not being an expert in this field, I will say that... Yes, these SUVs have to be studied to see what is the safer car. Which actually um, can bring us to a bigger issue, which is how should people be driving? Is one allowed to speed? Um, Is it okay for someone to drive a little bit over the speed limit, a lot over the speed limit? Again, we can deal with this question in terms of Jewish law and in terms of what is expected from a person as a social human being. In Jewish law, we know there is a concept called Dina de Malchusa Dina, that the law of the land governs our life too, even though it's not written in the Torah anywhere. But if there is a law that is written and accepted and enforced fairly through all angles of society, Jews need to live up to that law just as if they would live up to the laws of the Torah. As a matter of fact, they talk about some of the great rabbis that wouldn't cross the street when when there was a don't walk sign. Because the law says that one should not be walking. And jaywalking. I know of myself that driving with Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, that's all, that he would caution the driver to slow down because he didn't want to go over the speed limit. But I think what you're bringing up another issue is, is that does there really exist a Dina de Malchus Dina Let's say when you have a traffic flow where everybody is going uh, 80 miles an hour and uh, you're just doing what everybody else is driving. I think that's different. I think the speed limit when it comes to big highways, it's actually closer to a suggestion. I mean, when it's pouring rain and someone drives at the speed limit, which is 65, he will be pulled over and given a ticket because he's driving unsafely. And he can't say, well, I'm driving the speed limit because the speed limit is actually a suggested in most cases. And I think and the law itself allows that when there is a, um, a flow of traffic faster than the speed limit, that that's actually what the speed limit becomes. Well, that, doesn't stop that, everybody, that doesn't stop everybody from hitting the brakes when they see a smoky on the other side of the highway. That's because um, they wouldn't necessarily um, think that the cop would agree with this whole theory. <laughs> well, but, but that's where the, the theory is, no, that, is secondary to the facts on the ground when you get pulled over. You know, Kalman, I, I, as much as I understand let's drive as fast as everybody else, I don't think that and anyone's in danger if he wants to stay in the right-hand lane and drive 55. He's not going to be a danger to anyone. He might have to put up with the honks and the beeps and... Gesticulations. But that's not really the question. The question is, is it necessary to do that or is he allowed to? If someone wants to um, put his um, flashers on and drive at uh, 30 miles an hour too, I mean, I don't think anyone can force him to drive any faster. But there, I, I just don't think that there's any need for anyone to slow down. As long as the flow of traffic is moving that way, I think the law allows for that. Well, Kalman, speeding, which everybody seems to do, and uh, there are people, there are exceptions, I think there's another problem with it, and that is 
that society suffers from a rushing principle. We are impatient. We need to get there as quick as possible. Um, and I think that that has negative effects on our whole life. I don't know if the rat race issue is the real issue here. I, I think um, you're right when it comes to going to the supermarket, where if you drive 55 to go three blocks, I think that's completely unnecessary. But if you're taking an interstate trip, I just um, went from Chicago to St. Louis and back, and it really made a big difference driving those extra couple of miles an hour. Well, let's see. How many miles is that common from Chicago to St. Louis approximately? It's about 300 miles. That's okay, so it's idea. about 300 miles. Okay, so about 300 miles. So let's assume common, although you're probably going much faster than this. Let's say you would be going 60 miles an hour. So 60 miles an hour gets you to the great gateway city in five hours. What would have happened, Kalman, if you would have driven at 50 miles an hour? That would have been six hours. I mean, that's the difference of an hour. Uh-huh. So that hour would have made such a big difference in your life? I think every hour counts. We know uh, the Chazal talk about how a person can gain his whole world to come in one hour. Oh, come Now you're telling me that it's a tzidkus, it's actually righteousness to speed? I, I, I think that people commute every day. By speeding, they gain 15 minutes a day, which might seem very little. I mean, all you did, you got yourself into slight danger because of 15 minutes. It might sound worthless. But the fact is that over a year... 15 minutes a day um, throughout all the workdays becomes 50 hours a year. 50 hours a year is a lot. Yes, Kalman, 50 hours, approximately two days. But at what price? Yes, he gained two days. But I think he probably suffered by speeding every day, by this working upon him day in and day out to turn him into a different sort of personality. He might not have time and feel able to deal with his kid to do homework or to spend time with his family properly. In fact, Kalman, I think there's something else that people who speed miss. And I think what they miss is, perhaps even yourself on that drive down uh, to St. Louis, perhaps some of the great color and the beauty of the road. Slowing down a little without endangering yourself allows you to perhaps look out and absorb and see the I don't sunset. know. That, that's garbage. That sounds like something from a Barney show well, uh, where you should uh, watch the colors of the rainbow. I, I, not to be anyway insulting. I'm just saying that I don't think that that is necessarily the point of getting somewhere from one to another. If you're going on the scenic tour, that's one thing. But to slow down because you want to enjoy the sights, I don't think that's Well, Kalman, the if business or whatever brings you to a certain place, I think God wants us to take advantage of it. I'm not trying to be a Robert Audubon, although maybe in this case it should be Autobahn. But still, I think that once you're on the road anyway, why don't you take advantage of what God has to offer in this beautiful world? I don't know about that. But speaking of Autobahn, I think there is an issue of um, driving German cars that um, might need to be discussed over here. Yes, Kalman, there's clearly uh, German cars, especially people from my age, uh, feel a little bit strange about going out and purchasing a car. I remember my brother's first car that my father bought for him uh, was an Opel, an Opel Cadet, which, when my father found out, was actually manufactured by a German company. He he couldn't sleep at night because he'd actually purchased a German car. And I, I myself feel a little bit strange going out and purchasing it, one. It could be, right? It could be it's because I don't understand as much, but I, I don't think it's such a big deal. I mean, n- not to take away at all um, the greatness of the Holocaust and the impact that it had, 
But the fact is that it's in the past when it comes to the German automobile company that exists today isn't necessarily um, made by people who would commit the same acts again. I mean, we, we know that the Israel has those reparations where they're being okay, given that cars I think all the that time. That I think is something different. I think Israel was actually given all those cars as a sign of reparation. And uh, part of the fact that reparations is the idea that we are, in a sense, doing penance. And even though many of the people who were involved in sealing the reparations deal were not the ones in power during the Nazi era. But they recognized that Germany had a responsibility to the fledging state of Israel and to Jews in general. And therefore, that's the reason why Israel was flooded with Volkswagens and Mercedes. But I think here in America today, I don't know, I, I would say if you can stay away from a German car, perhaps that's the best thing. Now, Kalman, I know you're about to remind me about the fact that uh, I drive a Japanese car and the Japanese atrocities during World War II in some ways rivaled the Germans. However, there's something about Hitler, Yamach Shemovazichro, and his plans of transforming uh, German society through the automobile, through the highways, through the infamous Volkswagen, that sort of puts a bitter taste on any German manufactured automobile built on those principles. Well, I'm glad he didn't mention the fact that I drive an SUV. Oh, come on. How can I reveal such intimate personal information about you? Hello, Rabbi Ram. I think I see a sign for our exit. So I guess we have to pull over here and stop. My Chavrusa is Rabbi Kalman Warch. I'm my Chavrusa, Rabbi Ram Kivalevich. Kalman, stick around. I think there's some points I need to drive home to you. Uh, we'll see who wins this race. The Chavrusa features Rabbi Avram Kivalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch and is directed by Jeff Osias.